Pope St. John Paul II said that discovering Christ always again and always more fully is the most wonderful adventure of our life. Blazing the Trail is a weekly conversation where we talk about this adventure with courage and hope while sharing stories about what the Holy Spirit is doing in Western Oregon and beyond. Welcome back to Blazing the Trail, heard here on Mater Dei Radio and through the Archdiocesan Podcast Channel. My name is Miriam Marston, and it's great to be with you each week as we explore together the mission that has been entrusted to each and every baptized person, and that is to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the world, wherever we might be. After all, there isn't a place on earth that doesn't need to hear the truth of the gospel. Now, for those who tuned in around Christmas time, you might recall that I dedicated a couple of episodes to some prayerful reflection on the themes of the season. Now, with Easter fast approaching, we're going to do something similar. Through scripture, song, and reflection, we'll ponder together the great mysteries that await us in these holiest of days. And on this episode, we're going to turn our attention to Holy Saturday. Now, until a few years ago, if you'd asked me what Holy Saturday was about, my answer would be something like, um, it's a day between Good Friday and Easter. But if it were just a placeholder, an awkward pause between two days, then we wouldn't call it holy. If it's a holy day, then God is up to something. So what is going on with Holy Saturday? To get us started, we're going to look at an ancient homily that was written about this day. We're not quite sure who wrote it. It's on the Vatican website, and it's simply titled, From an Ancient Homily for Holy Saturday. And this is what we hear. What is happening? Today there is a great silence over the earth, a great silence and stillness, a great silence because the king sleeps. The earth was in terror and was still because God slept in the flesh and raised up those who were sleeping from the ages. God has died in the flesh, and the underworld has trembled. Truly, He goes to seek out our first parent like a lost sheep. He wishes to visit those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. He goes to free the prisoner Adam and his fellow prisoner Eve from their pains, He who is God and Adam's son. The Lord goes to them holding his victorious weapon, his cross. When Adam, the first created man, sees him, he strikes his breast in terror and calls out to all, My Lord be with you all. And Christ, in reply, says to Adam, And with your spirit. And grasping his hand, he raises him up, saying, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. So that is from the first part of this homily, when we see Jesus descend to Sheol, where the righteous men and women are waiting to be set free. We hear about this astounding pilgrimage that our Lord makes to the place of the dead each time we say that line in the Apostles' Creed, He descended into hell. Now, when we speak of hell in this way and in the way that you'll hear in the song I will play, we're not speaking of that eternal separation from God which is experienced by the the unrepentant sinner who dies in a state of mortal sin. To be clear, we're referring to that place where all the souls of the dead were dwelling before the coming of Jesus. There are a few references to this in the New Testament. For instance, we hear in 1 Peter chapter 3 that Jesus goes to preach to the spirits in prison. 
Imagine that. He is evangelizing the dead. And he doesn't only proclaim the good news. He is there to rescue those who have been waiting to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, as we hear in that ancient homily, Jesus grasps the hand of Adam and raises him up, saying, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. My friends, these words are not just reserved for those souls who were rescued on Holy Saturday. The Lord comes to your rescue as well. Pope Benedict XVI expands on this theme. He writes, Christ strode through the gate of our final loneliness. In his passion, he went down into the abyss of our abandonment. Where no voice can reach us any longer, there is he. Hell is thereby overcome, or to be more accurate, death, which was previously hell, is hell no longer. There is life in the midst of death, because love dwells in it. Again, that was Pope Benedict XVI. And so we start to see now that in this great stillness and silence, when it seems like the whole world is holding its breath for Easter morning, the Lord is already doing something extraordinary. Even now, some of you might be feeling like you're living through some kind of hell that is a suffering, a sorrow, a desolation, a sense of abandonment and solitude so deep that it feels like death itself. But here then is the consolation of Holy Saturday, that Jesus Christ in his great mercy descends into all of that mess and chaos and he reaches out his hand to lift us up. And remember that ancient homily, Jesus carries his cross into that domain of the dead. Our Lord doesn't leave the cross behind as though it were unimportant or just a detail in the story. No, it is precisely through the power of the cross that the bonds of death are broken, and love has the final word. Last year, at the only Stations of the Cross that we were able to attend in person, I was standing next to my little nephew. He was eight years old at the time, and about halfway through, he was getting pretty fidgety, which is understandable. It was a Friday evening in church, and that can be challenging for any eight-year-old. But all of a sudden, just at the moment when I thought he wasn't paying attention to what was going on, he turns to me and whispers, If Jesus hadn't died on the cross, then the cross would be like any other shape. And his statement caught me by surprise. First of all, it turns out he was paying attention. But secondly, he had a good point. We cannot look at the shape of a cross without seeing a deeper reality. For the Christian, the cross is saturated with meaning. The cross isn't like a triangle or a circle. We look at the cross and we see how much God loves us. We see what He has done to save us from our sin. And so we proclaim Christ crucified. And we cry out with confidence, Where, O death, is your victory? As we hear in St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians. So, I'm going to share a little song on this theme, and then we'll come back for further reflection and prayer. And in the spirit of the times, when so much work has been done from our homes, this recording was also created from the comfort of my own home. So here is the song, Holy Saturday. There's green between 
So as we ponder this marvel and this mystery of Holy Saturday, I'd like for us to to put ourselves in the story, so to speak. And if you could reach back into your memory and retrieve the file containing your longest day, and maybe that file actually includes a whole succession of days, all of which constitute the longest year of your life, a series of changes, losses, questions, doubts, disappointments, whatever the reason or the circumstances, they've led you to this place in your mind's eye, a field where you stand alone. And you look down and you see that the grass is dry and colorless. It crunches unpleasantly with every step you take. The sky is also colorless and it stretches on forever without even the slightest change in elevation in sight. Simply sky and field, and you happen to be at a point where the two meet. There is, however, one sign of life, and that's the cold wind blowing in from the north. You shiver, and not just from the chilly breeze. The loneliness presses in on you, and it's so thick, you almost feel as though it could serve as a cloak. But thick as it is, it won't keep you warm. And so you pull your thin coat a little closer. Suddenly, a figure appears at the edge of the field. The wind has picked up and it's stinging your eyes, so you have some difficulty seeing through the tears welling up. But sure enough, it is a person. At last, a little company on this God-forsaken field. And you don't know it yet, but this person is coming precisely to tell you that this place has not been forsaken by God. He comes closer, and the wind seems to get even stronger and colder. A wild idea races across your thoughts. His appearance is somehow tied up with the wind. You squint to try to bring the vision into sharper focus. He is saying something, but you can't quite make out the words. A few more moments pass, and you can tell he's saying the same word over and over again. And finally, you can untangle from the howling gusts a voice reverberating through the air. And it says, love, love. This singular word, it dances around you and fills the space between the field and the sky. Your ear strains to listen more closely as though you were hearing this word for the very first time. Love. That word, a flicker of paradise in the desert and in the dark night of unfriendly dreams. That word begging to be spoken in our own time. But how often the depths of love have eluded us and how we have avoided its piercing touch on so many occasions. But here in this field, its presence is as unmistakable as it is mysterious. We can't wrap our minds around it, but we should not worry because it wraps around us instead. Now, whenever we hear of wind in the scriptures, we often discover that God is doing something new in creation. And we're not talking about the kind of pleasant, gentle breeze that you might enjoy as you sit at the edge of a lake during a Sunday afternoon picnic. Those are nice, but they do not represent the the life-giving or transformative activity that I'm talking about here. Those enjoyable moments are just a tiny intimation of the power of Ruah, the breath of God. It is this dynamic breath that is one of the defining characteristics of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. 
He is the gale rushing over the vast emptiness of creation at the beginning of time, that mighty wind sweeping over the waters. He brings forth the word leaping from the Father's heart, and He is the burst of love that brings the earth and stars and creatures into being. That same hurricane of love hovers over our own emptiness, longing to replace our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. Let us not forget the moment in salvation history when God remembered Noah and all the animals wild and tame that were with him in the ark, and he made a wind sweep over the earth, and the waters began to subside. And so it is with with each soul in this great ark of a world. We are each remembered by our Heavenly Father. And the same movement of the Spirit tames the chaos within us and pulls back the waters that threaten to engulf us. And so it is that the breath of God rushes in from Calvary as well, cold and unexpected as it might be. And when these times come, we so often want to fight and resist as we fill up with questions such as, why didn't my faith in Christ guarantee an easier life? What is the point of following God's will if it's only going to lead to more suffering and trials? To which Pope Benedict XVI responds, Christ did not promise an easy life. Those who desire comforts have dialed the wrong number. Rather, he shows us the way to great things, the good, towards an authentic human life. So in our frustration, we might shake our fist to the heavens, but at least we have remembered that he is there. We might lament the icy draft cutting across our lives, but there is no doubt that it abruptly wakes us up to the reality before us and dispels any illusions we might have been attached to. Have we so quickly forgotten the Lord's words to his disciples? If the world hates you, realize that it hated me first. If there is comfort in these words, it is the reassurance that we are hardly alone in our tribulation. And this is why Bonhoeffer could write that the cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. And indeed, a sense of communion infuses this scene as we return to the field in our mind's eye. The Lord has made his approach, and you are now close enough to look into his eyes. They are wet with tears. See how he loves you. That cold and unexpected wind suddenly gusts stronger than ever, and this time it ushers in a surge of understanding. It is the grace of realizing how Christ suffered and died on that hill for you. Not a hypothetical you or an anonymous you, but actually you. And there is no cross that you carry that he didn't carry first. There is no wound that afflicts you that he hasn't endured as well. So yes, your eyes may have been stinging earlier because of the wind, but now they well up with tears for for a different reason. It's actually oddly comforting because for a while, you would suppose that the well had run dry. But how can we resist being deeply moved when we recall His mercy and His grace? So we do not need to stem the tide of our tears. Our Lord did not hold back His tears. He wept at the tomb of His friend Lazarus. And see how life is restored through those tears. Lazarus would walk out of that tomb mere moments later. The tears of our Lord are never wasted, and our tears, they are not futile either. 
And of course, a strain of sadness runs through many of our tears. Perhaps we regret that we have come so late to the Lord. But friends, let us listen to those words to the Philippians as St. Paul encourages them to forget what lies behind, but rather to strain forward to what lies ahead, to continue our pursuit toward the goal, the prize of God's upward calling in Christ Jesus. Time runs differently when we are swept up in the adventure of following Christ. So let us not now dwell upon the past. Or perhaps we weep because our plans have fallen through one by one. Or maybe it's the general state of affairs in today's world that is the chief source of your sorrow. But as that north wind howls around us, even to the point of bringing us to our knees, our sadness gives way to joy. And the tears might even flow more freely than before. For these are tears of gratitude, the overwhelming realization that we would be nowhere, not even on a desolate plain, were it not for the boundless love of God. We are because He is, and what He is, is love. How do we not then tremble when we receive Holy Communion or when we recite the Creed? How do we not burst into praise when we reflect upon all that He has done for His people? Has our thankfulness grown so stale? G.K. Chesterton offers us a a beautiful description of a man who understood what it was to, to turn one's life over entirely to God and to rest confidently in the supreme splendor of His plans. This man was St. Francis of Assisi who abandoned himself to the Lord and showed how the way of poverty is the way of love. Chesterton writes, Francis of Assisi knew that the praise of God stands on its strongest ground when it stands on nothing. He knew that we can best measure the towering miracle of the mere fact of existence if we realize that, but for some strange mercy, we should not even exist. So yes, we can glean much from those times when things in life are going well. But it is precisely when life appears to stand on nothing that we lean on God's goodness and trustworthiness even more. There will be days when we look upon the cross as we would the last remaining sign of love in the world. Do not just look upon it then. Cling to it. Hold fast to the source of our hope. Run your fingers over the uneven wood, reminiscent of the jagged patterns that weave through our lives. Use both hands to embrace the cross, and let go of the expectation to hear what you want to hear, and ask rather for the grace to hear what you need to hear. And look up and see how Christ comes before us, wearing His crown of thorns like a crown of gold. His eyes are locked onto ours. He will never turn his eyes away, not even for the smallest second. He is here. He has come in on the breath of the cold north wind, and even his silence speaks more than all the words ever uttered throughout human history, for he is the word of God. In this abundant silence, he extends his hand, and it reaches towards us like a flame cutting through the ice. We have only to take his hand and rise up with the new dawn. My friends, as we come to the close of this Holy Saturday Reflection, I have just a couple of questions for your consideration. Have you experienced those moments when it feels like you were standing on nothing? 
And when those times come, do you trust that our Lord is in fact standing with you there, and not just with empty hands, but rather carrying His victorious cross? And in this abundant stillness of Holy Saturday, if you could think of just one or two people to pray for specifically— to pray that Christ descends into the depths of their own lives, into their darkness and their solitude, and pray that they might reach out and grasp the hand of Christ, who desires so very much to draw them into the light of new life. I'll leave you with these words from Pope St. John Paul II. I've shared the passage before on this show, but it is so beautifully suited to this mystery of Holy Saturday, so it bears repeating. There is no evil to be faced that Christ does not face with us. There is no enemy that Christ has not already conquered. There is no cross to bear that Christ has not already borne for us and does not now bear with us. And on the far side of every cross we find the newness of life in the Holy Spirit, that new life which will reach its fulfillment in the resurrection. This is our faith. This is our witness before the world. All right, my friends, on the next episode, I will meet you there on the far side of the cross as we reflect on the glory of Easter. So please join me next week. And until then, stay well and stay close to Christ. God bless you all. You've been listening to Blazing the Trail, produced through the studios of the Archdiocese of Portland. Join us in our mission to share the good news of Jesus Christ across Western Oregon by visiting archdpdx.org.